All right, you kids have done well. If you are going to Children's Church, I want you to actually come forward and be with me up here. Some of you parents are getting really nervous. And I want to ask the question this morning, do you believe, you can just hang out right here, I'm going to come down to you in one second, but I want to ask the question, do you believe that we can learn things from children? Alright, I do too. One of the things I was going to do is maybe set up a, a quiz or a test and put these kids up against some parents about the story of Josiah, but I didn't want to embarrass the adults, and so kids, if y'all can turn around this way, I'm going to ask y'all a couple of questions and see if y'all can answer me, okay? Y'all ready for this? All right, so here's the first question. How old was Josiah when he became king? Eight. Yes, good job. That's awesome. All right, so I want you to raise your hand on this one. I'm going to ask you individually. When Josiah became king, do you remember what was the kingdom like? Autumn. That's right, it had idols in it and people worshipped idols. Anybody else? That's good. It's great. All right, that's a great answer. Y'all are doing great so far. And so what are some of the things that Josiah did? What are some of the other things that Josiah did? He tore down the idols. He tore down the idols. You were going to say that? He tore his clothes. We're going to talk about that too. He did tear his clothes. Anybody else? Yes? Okay, all right, appetizers first, that may be in a song that you all are singing, yes, do what, he prayed, that's right, so, so here's, here's the most important question I can ask you, um, is this, what did you learn about God through VBS, Autumn? God is the only real God. That's right. That's good. Anybody else? Wasn't here. That's okay. Yes. Say. Say. Do what? You cannot polish God. That's also in a song that y'all are singing. That's great. All right. You kids go with Miss Ruby. That was fantastic. Y'all did a great job. It's interesting, um, you know, when you're in ministry, you, you talk to other ministers and you talk to people in other churches, and one of the things that's fascinating to me is that uh, some people question the validity of uh, really teaching children or having a ministry to children, and sometimes this just blows my mind when I hear uh, pastors or people in the church talking this way. Or sometimes I'll hear things like this, that, that what we do with children's ministry is that it's just a way to get the kids out so that the adults can sit and learn. Have you ever heard that? Or maybe even felt that way? Here, here at Signal Mountain Bible Church, one of the visions that we have and one of the visions that I am willing to stake everything on is that when we have our children with us in this building, when we are out in the community and we see our children, that we need to look at our children as valued people within our community. And we need to be about teaching them and helping them grow up in the ways of the Lord. Bob Dylan wrote a famous song called The Times They Are A-Changing. Many of you, does anybody know that song? Sinners. 
Repent. No, I'm teasing. 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 But in the first, in the first, uh, I enjoy doing that too much. Um, in, the, in the first, um, in the, one of the first couple lines of that song, uh, he talks about the times they are changing, that we need to admit that the waters around us have grown, and you better start swimming or what's going to happen? You're going to sink like a stone. And one of the things as we look at the culture around us, and as we look at the things that are going on around us, one of the things that we have to admit is that the waters of turmoil are rising. And they continue to rise. And the problem that we have sometimes as Christians is that if we're not going to start swimming, we will sink. We will face the same doom as the world. Sometimes when I'm talking with other parents, sometimes when I'm talking with other adults, one of the things that they'll talk about, and I've talked with some of you about, is I can't imagine the world that our kids are going to be living in when they get older. And that's true, right? But something that's just as true that I try to enter into that conversation is, I can't imagine being a child in this day and age. I can't imagine being a teenager and having access to the things I would have access to right in my pocket. The times are changing. The times are moving in a direction that does not seem good. And our kids inhabit this world. In Josiah's day and age, things were changing as well. All of the culture around Josiah, God's people, God's nation, the, the people whom he had called for himself, who he called out of Egypt, and who he, whom he had done so much for, were just continually drifting further and further away from him. If you're keeping up with your Bible reading with us, we're reading the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets that was around during these days. And you hear as we read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah pleading with God and God speaking through Jeremiah. And you just hear the evil of the day as our kids told us about people turning from the Lord God, Yahweh, to turning to idols. That when God's people... God's people who had learned, who in their ancestry had lived and followed a God who delivered them, who went before them, who fought battles for them. And then all of the sudden, over time, what happens when God's people get in trouble? They turn to the ways of the Lord. They turn to the gods of the other countries and worship idols. They turn and try to appease the kings of other countries because they don't believe that God can and will rescue them. Instead of being who they were designed to be. They were designed to be a people who loved God with their whole heart. Who remembered God and His faithfulness. Who walked in His way so that they could be a shining people among the nations. So that the other nations might get jealous and, and, and want to be with this God as well. Instead of being like that, they became like the rest of the culture around them. And by the time we get to Josiah... 
The kingdom had split into two kingdoms. There was a northern tribe, Israel, a southern tribe, Judah. Israel was already in captivity. And when we get to this place in 2 Chronicles, Judah was not very far off into being in captivity as well. And what's fascinating when you read the Old Testament, when you read the kings, is that really from the time of the end of the reign of Solomon, when Solomon uh, took wives and took in the gods of his wives, from that point on, it seemed to start to deteriorate. Things seemed to change in a bad direction. But every now and then, God in His mercy and grace would cause a blip on the scene. A blip like a king like Hezekiah who turned to the Lord. And this morning when we look at Josiah, we see another blip on the scene of God displaying His mercy and His grace through a young man like Josiah. But I want to have a word of caution to you this morning. I want to speak a word of caution. One of the things when we're reading any part of the Bible, but in particular when we're reading the Old Testament, that we have to be jealous not to do is that we do not look at this account and say, how great is Josiah? I want to be like Josiah. That's not the point. The point of the story of Josiah is to look beyond Josiah to the God that Josiah served. It's one of the reasons why I think God raised him up at such a young age because there was nothing special about him except for his willingness to be faithful. And the second thing that we have to be careful of because I think especially as Americans our minds can wander into some dangerous uh, territory when we're studying the Old Testament is that when we look at Josiah and when we look at this account in the Bible today, what we're not looking at is a way to necessarily reform America. What we're looking at is God dealing with His people. And so whether we're in America, whether we're in China, whether we're in England, that we, the people of God, as we look and as we study the life of Josiah, as we study what happened around him, that one of the things that we need to know as God's people is that we need to be a people who are always looking to God. Who are always looking to Him and always seeing Him as the faithful one. That we as a church never get off mission of who we are called to be. That our gatherings here as a church, our gatherings as churches globally, continue to be gatherings where we come together in dedication and worship to the God who has made a way instead of our gatherings looking more like the culture around us. So when we get in trouble, believers, where do we run? Do we run to the culture? Do we run to the ways of the world? Do we run to the kings of the world? Or do we bow ourselves, humble ourselves, and look to the God who has said that He will build His church and His church will persevere? Hopefully, hopefully, all of us here this morning, hopefully, want to be the kind of people that God uses. Is that a desire of your heart? Do you want to be the kind of person that God uses? Well, I got great news for you this morning. We're going to talk about how you can be that kind of person.
And I know that even as I say this, and this is something that I've referenced before, that as I, as I talk about being the kind of person that God uses, one of the things that goes on in your inner dialogue is this whole thing of I'm not blank enough. Some of you may be saying I'm not young enough, my time has passed. Some of you may be saying I'm not old enough. Some of you may be saying I'm not smart enough. Fill in the blank. And there's good news. Whatever that blank is, is not the kind of person that God uses. (laughs) That doesn't qualify you to be the kind of person God uses. I hope that this morning, as you hear this message, as we encounter this Uh, account about Josiah that you will learn what it means to be the kind of person that God uses and that you will see the good news this morning that if you are a child of God you are the kind of person that God uses see look at in 2nd Chronicles if you've got your Bibles open in chapter 34 look at verses 1 through 3 Josiah was 8 years old when he became king And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, that would have meant he was 16, while he was still a youth, notice the writer here is telling us, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. This young boy. And the question that I want to present this morning. Is how did Josiah know? How did Josiah know? And some of you may say. Well he was raised in a Christian home. And that's one of the reasons that God can't use me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Oh really? Let's just learn just a little bit about his grandfather. If we back up to chapter 33. Just look at verses 1 through 10. And see what a godly example this young man's grandfather was. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel, he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made ashram and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built Listen to this. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through fire in the valley of Ben-Hanan, and he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, dealt with mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he put... The carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe all that I have commanded them according to the law and the statute and ordinances given through Moses. Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. The Lord spoke to Manasseh, but he paid no attention. And you may say, well, yeah, but what about his dad? Oh, well, we're told about his dad as well. In verse 21, 
Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done, and Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. He did not humble himself before the Lord. What kind of family heritage is this? And so the question that I have as I read this text and we see that Josiah, when he was eight years old and when he was 16, began to serve the Lord is this. How did he know? How did he know? We don't know how he knew. There are all kinds of crazy theories, but what we do know is that someone within the kingdom who had access to him was faithful in sharing with him about the God of his father, David. And we know that there wasn't a Bible that was brought to him because later in this account, we're going to see that the law was brought and and we're going to see his response to that. So it wasn't like there was a Bible. So someone in his life who remembered, who was following following God, communicated to Josiah. The other thing that we know when we look at Josiah is that whatever word he was receiving from whomever he was receiving it, he acted on it. This, is, this just blows my mind. That what we see is that as, as he was taught and as he then goes out and he becomes king, starting in verse 3, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. The ashram, the carved images, the molten images. Verse 4, they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars that were high above them, he chopped them down. Also the ashram, the carved images and the molten images, he broke them into pieces, ground them into powder, and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And then he burned the bones of the priest on the altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. Whatever he knew... Whatever he was told as he looked out and he saw that other gods and other things were being worshipped over the only God who deserved their worship and praise, he acted. And that's not all. Someone told him about the importance of the temple. And in verse 8, it says in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shephan, the son of uh, Azaliah and Masiah, an official of the city, and of Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of God. So he went throughout the land and tore down the idols. He looked in the house of God and he looked to restore it. And then something amazing happens. As the account goes, the the way that he was restoring uh, the house of God is that they were taking up an offering and Josiah said for the money to be given to the Uh, the people to come in and to repair the temple. And as they were repairing the temple, look what happens and look at his response. When they were bringing the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Think about this. Think about how bad this culture had gotten That in the house of the Lord, the book of the law, they didn't know where it was. And so here these men, they found the book of the law. 
And Shaphan brought the book to the king and reported further the word to the king, saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants they are doing. They have also emptied out the money which was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it to the hands of the supervisors and workmen. And moreover, Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkah the priest gave me the book. And then Shaphan read from it in the king's presence. In verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And then in verse 21, he says, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that was written in the book. So what we see is that this young man who was following after God, the other thing that he knew was the importance of the word of God. And when this word was found, he completely dedicated himself to it. And isn't it amazing what we see God doing through not only this young person, this young king, this young king's faithfulness, but I think it's not a stretch to say what God did through the faithful witness of someone else to this king that we don't even know about. And so what I want to ask you this morning, some of you may know this, I want to do a little bit of a quiz. I quizzed the kids, now I'm going to quiz you. Does anybody know the importance of Robert Key? Never heard of Robert Key? Me either. Robert Key was the man who led Charles Spurgeon to the Lord. Some of you may know this one. What about Mordecai Ham? The evangelist who led Billy Graham to the Lord. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was led to the Lord by three poor women that he passed by who were talking about the greatness of God. My prayer and my hope is that at Signal Mountain Bible Church, for those of you who so faithfully, so faithfully, and I could, I could name you and embarrass you this morning, who so faithfully give of your time and effort to teach our kids, that you would know, you would know, that your name may never be recorded anywhere in the annals of, of time, but you never know the impact that you're having on these kids. My prayer every day this morning as I go through these hallways and hear these kids and they're just joyful and they're running and they're falling and they're hyped up on sugar. One of the joys of my heart is that I know that as they go downstairs and meet with Mr. Paul, Josiah, that they're being taught the Word of God. And I have heard over and over by adults I have heard so many testimonies of what God did in a moment, in a week, like a vacation Bible school. And my prayer, my prayer, is that you, you, me, would want to be the kind of person that God uses. And when we look at this account, what we see is the kind of person that God uses is the person who is faithful with what he or she has. 
Josiah was faithful with what he had. He was faithful with the knowledge that he had. He was not a biblical scholar when he began the reforms in the country. Whoever it was that told Josiah about God was faithful with what they had. And they didn't even have the word to look at. And oh church, what God may do in the life of a community if we would just be faithful with what we have been given. And I hope and pray that we would never be a people that as we're teaching our youth, as we're teaching our middle schoolers, as we're teaching our high schoolers, as we're teaching our grade schoolers, that we would take this message that I am giving you about being faithful with what you have and tell them some crazy, evil statement like, this is for you to use in the future. We need to look at our children and our youth as young women and young men that God may choose today to use in miraculous ways. One of the last reforms that Josiah made was in chapter 35. Looking at verse 1, it says, Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover animals in the 14th day of the first month. And if we were to, to read through this account, one of the things you're going to see is that when you just read this, I don't know if you have the tendency to, to sometimes read things like I do and just kind of fly through them, but you may think, oh, that's nice, you know, they had some kind of festival, some kind of party. But as you read through this, what you're going to see, look at verse 7. Josiah contributed to the lay people, to all who were present, flocks of lambs and young goats, all for the Passover offerings, numbering 30,000 plus 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possession. And then look down at verse 11. They slaughtered the Passover animals, and while the priests sprinkled the blood received from their land, the Levites skinned them. Think about how bloody this was. Think about how costly this was. Thousands and thousands of animals. Think if you were there, would you be thinking this is a nice party? I think you would be thinking, what in the world is going on? And then you would be told the story of the Passover. Of the God who is faithful. That if you cling to Him, He will never let you go. And He will lead you and He will guide you. And how He took His people out of Egypt. And how He, how he sustained them in the desert. How He fought battles for them. And how this Passover celebration was meant to draw our remembrance back to the God who is there and is faithful. And brothers and sisters, for us, for us, we are to be reminded of the blood as well. That amidst all of the cultural tide that is rising, against all of the philosophies and all of the things that are around us that are threatening to uh, pervert the church and to infiltrate the church and to infiltrate God's people, 
that we are to be a people who stand on one thing, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only way which, by which men can be saved and be reconciled to God. And that we are to be a people who are proclaiming this message everywhere we go. That we are to be a people If you are called by God and called into his family, that you are called to be faithful with what you have. Now, I have invited somebody to share a testimony with us, uh, and I'm I'm making her abbreviate it to five minutes. But I, I want Leah Kelly to come up and share with us, and then I'll come up and close the service. So it's four minutes and four seconds if I don't go into anything else. Last November, I got to share this with the ladies in the story Saturday. Thank you, Lewis, for inviting me to talk about four minutes that changed the eternity of myself and my mother and father. The initial times the summer before eighth grade that I heard the name of Jesus were very strange. They were completely unfamiliar to me. I had never read one word of the Bible. I had not ever had a friend that talked about Jesus to me or invited me to any church or any gathering. In October of that year, I was at the small church that our family had just started attending in our neighborhood, and I observed an adult man being baptized. I had never seen anything like it in my entire life. I was so freaked out. I decided to write my friend Beth a note in our science class the next day. Mrs. Slaughter did not allow us to pass notes, but I was pretty slick with that. So Beth wrote me back a note in Mrs. Slaughter's class and told me that she had also wondered what was happening. So we decided together the following Sunday that we would walk the aisle and ask our pastor what he had done to the man. The following Sunday evening at the altar call... Beth and myself and three other of our older high school friends responded as they played Just As I Am or some song like that, and we got to go down and hear from our pastor the gospel. We got to respond in repentance, and I was born again. I heard and responded to the good news that night for the very first time that Jesus was fully God and fully man. I heard that Jesus had died as the way for me to be forgiven of every wrong thing I had ever thought, every wrong word I had ever spoken, and every wrong action, past, present, and future. Jesus died and was brought back to life as the way for me to be right with God and have eternal life with Him. He did see me. He did know me. He had created me and rescued me even as a child, from complete destruction. When I was doing my own thing, God was loving me. He was showing me that he wanted to be the complete director and only Lord and only master of my entire life and wanted to speak to me and lead me. I was no longer in charge of me. Faith was not just one small compartment of my life 
or something for Sunday. I had no idea how desperately I needed the direction of this Savior. Moments from my childhood of being forgotten or being alone, dark issues in my heart all of a sudden came into a blinding light. But as an eighth grade student, I could not have articulated all the truths I've just shared. But I did know that I was different when my dad, Jimmy, in his mid-40s, came and picked me up from church on that rainy Sunday evening, and I jumped into the van and said, Dad, I accepted Jesus tonight. That evening set in motion a perplexing time for me. My parents both seemed really glad and excited for me, but in the coming days, I heard them having very serious conversation over coffee And I even saw my mom weeping many afternoons when I came home from school. What I found out was that my parents were being pursued and convicted by the Holy Spirit. My mother and father in their mid-40s had heard the gospel as children but had never once responded to the truth. They appeared to be moral and kind, but they were lost. My parents had never been born again. On the evening of my baptism, later that fall, Anne, my mother, who some of you know, and Jimmy, my father, responded to the good news of Jesus, and both of them were born again. None of us knew that as we began learning about following Jesus together as three brand-new born-again disciples, that my dad, Jimmy, would die of lymphoma cancer just less than four years later. I am thankful beyond words that the King of glory pursued us and knit us together as brand new Christians, that all of the pretend and moralism fell away and the light of Christ rescued us and drew us up from a pit of destruction set our feet on the rock. Thank you. What I want you to hear from that is the faithfulness of a young girl to get into a car and excitedly tell her parents of what God had done. And one of the things that that we see from that account is what God could do in the life of a family. And one of the things that I want to declare to you that I didn't tell Leah I was going to say because she would have told me not to. But if you are around Leah and if you have heard of her, uh, her story and if you've heard of what God has done in her life and you have seen that by simple obedience over and over the number of young girls through youth ministry that, that God has touched through the life of that simple obedience, the number of women through conferences and other things that she has put on that God, through faithful obedience, has touched. And hopefully, and I know even some of you in the short time that they've been here. And so my question to you, my question to you, no matter what your age From the youngest to the oldest in here today, my question to you is this. Will you be faithful with what God has given you?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not come here this morning to lift up Josiah the king. God, we come here this morning to praise you. We're thankful that you are a God who saves little girls and then saves her parents through the witness of all that little girl knew at the time. God, I pray that we would be faithful witnesses. God, I pray that we would be faithful with what we've been given. And that we would be a people. We would be a people who would be salt and light to the community and to the world around us who so desperately, desperately need you. Revive our hearts, O Lord. It's in your Son Jesus' name that all this is possible and that we pray. Amen.